Coming to you live from Brainerd, the home of Paul Bunyan, it's the 10 Point Podcast. My name is Bruce, and I'm going crazy down here by the lake, and I'm looking for a little bit of action. Luckily, I have my two accomplices here with me. First, he's a little guy, kind of funny looking. It's Chris. <laughs> Thanks. You all right? Well, what does this guy look like, anyways? Oh, he's a little guy, kind of funny looking. Uh-huh. In what way? <laughs> oh, just in a general kind of way. Uh, and Chris has brought his buddy with him, and well, I don't vouch for him. It's Andy. Well, he's got his gun on his hip there, and he looks like a nice enough guy. It's a real shame. Hello. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, I thought nice you were doing the silent thing there again. <laughs> I can't do the whole thing on soundboard now. It's just going to talk through Fargo quotes for the entire podcast. <laughs> uh, like I say, 10 Point Podcast. Everybody visit 10pointpodcast.com. I'm going to spare Chris any trouble this weekend to say you can listen to us absolutely anywhere. Anywhere you like to listen Thank to you. podcasts, you can find us. Just put the words 10 Point and Podcast into Apple, into Spotify, into anything else. Uh, you'll be able to find us. And if you can't, try 10pointpodcast.com, where you can also donate to the cause, because uh, as Chris says, Bants ain't free. Uh, what have we watched in the last week, lads? We had Blade 2 last week. Uh, Andy, what have you watched in the interim between the two films this week? I went to the cinema for the first time since March and watched Unhinge. We did hear about this on the news earlier this week on Friday night. That's when the TPB news comes out. So, Andy, you give us a bit more of a, a slightly more in-depth review you did on there, if you like. Yeah, Fat Russell Crowe, thumbs up. I'm going to keep it exactly the same. <laughs> That's the whole review. Isn't it? That is my review. That is that was all you need to know. Just go and watch Fat Russell Crowe, who I actually thought put the chub on, but apparently is a fat suit. So fair play to the makeup people because hey. that. Ah. Yeah. Nope, he is not fat. He is not fat. Are you sure? Is, because that, he was in. A, um, that's a fat suit. What's that film with uh, Ryan Gosling? He was quite chunky in that as well. You say that. I thought to it was him. just Russell Crowe. He's going to get on Tugger and come and punch you. but yeah some of the best acting i've ever seen and i really like the russell crowe character in that just really just says something to me it's like i like this guy so yeah thumbs up Uh, review anything else anything at home or just just out to the cinema this week just mostly the cinema Okay, Chris, what about you? What have you been watching in the last week? Um, I finally remembered what I was watching the whole time from last week. Terminator Dark Fate. That's what I watched. Oh, how did you find it? Because I'm a big Terminator fan, so I'd like to hear your thoughts. I think they should have just stopped at Terminator 2. <laughs> it's alright, but again, it's the same thing as the other ones. It's just a bit meh. I would have just stopped at Terminator 2. I thought it Personally. wasn't bad. As, as as one of the sequels, the sequels are all a bit lower than you say Terminator 2, yeah. but I thought it was okay. I thought it was true enough. It's to the, better than the other the ones. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Salvation. I'm, I'm above average on Salvation. But oh, Terminator that film. That gives me nightmares, horrendous. that film. <laughs> I want, that's what I want. I want to see a Terminator film in the future, but I want it to be good. <laughs> ah, right, okay. Salvation's Salvation good. is that. Just don't, <laughs> yeah. don't, don't trust the flare is my number one rule. Oh, God, I got Andy's past history with that flare. Uh, but no, the the, uh, the CGI flashback bit in Terminator Dark Fate, where they have young John Connor and young Sarah Connor again, they just took me back. That was like my favourite bit of Dark Fate by my I actually thought like maybe this was like bonus footage from Terminator 2 that they'd got, because it was really good, I thought. Yeah, it was amazing. I, I don't like know if they did the de-aging or if it was all just CGI or, or a mixture of the two, I don't know. But yeah, it was really good. 
Uh, for me, the last week, I was, uh, despite us uh, having slated Amazon on the TPP News this week, uh, I watched three movies all on Amazon Prime this week. Uh, so my did Ocean's 8, which I'll say, definitely the weakest Ocean's movie. I give it a thumbs middle, though. It's all right. It doesn't do anything too dangerous or too uh, too great. Uh, I watched, and then I watched two Judd Apatow movies. I watched Funny People, a uh, very underrated comedy film, uh, Adam Sandler. The first thing I ever saw Adam Sandler in where he was kind of playing it a bit serious and not being a bit crazy. I give that a big thumbs up. Go check out Funny People if you like your comedy movies. It's not an Adam Sandler film, if you know what I'm saying. It's an actual funny film. Uh, and I watched Judd Apatow's a recently recent movie has called The Big Sick, which is essentially the the story behind Camille Nanjani and his wife getting together. Which again, thumbs middle for it. It's not as good as Funny People, but I'd recommend Funny People. So they were my Amazon viewing habits this week. Not seen either or heard either of them. So yeah, I'll, I'll, give, I'll, I'll give them a miss. Funny People's got Seth Rogen in it, uh, and again, you weren't too high on Seth Rogen on the, the TPP news <laughs> earlier this week, so uh, maybe not for you, but if you like Adam Sandler, him actually trying to be an actor, uh, he's very good at it. Uh, okay, we better go on with this week. Uh, it was Andy's pick. So what no, is the point today? No, it wasn't. The it was point... my pick. Oh, sorry, it was. Sorry, it was your pick. I was thinking it was Andy's pick. Andy's pick is later on tonight. I'm already building up anticipation for Andy's pick. Chris's pick. Chris had not seen Fargo. He said he wanted to see it. So, Polygram filmed entertainment and working title films produced in 1996. Crime drama thriller Fargo. Based on a true story from the 1970, sorry, 1987 in Minnesota. Written and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen, Famous for such films as Raising Arizona, Barton Fink, The Big Lebowski, Oh Brother Were Out Though, No Country for Old Men, Born After Reading, A Serious Man, True, Get, True Grit from 2010, Inside Lewin Davis and The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and even more, not a bad filmography for the two writers and directors there. Did they not do that thing with the goat? Or is that somebody else? Because it was, seemed similar to that. Oh, what yeah, is that, it? I can confirm that wasn't it. The Men Who Stare at Goats? That's the one. I thought yeah. I had their kind of feel about it as well. Yeah, Obviously very much not. similar feel, but that, yeah. that wasn't that wasn't them. Uh, a big Coen Brothers fan, Chris, or have you been kind of kept away from their films? I've seen Born After Reading, and I've seen the the True Grit remake, and I thought they were all right. Yeah, but they like to say like the Born After Reading is a lot. You can tell it's them. There's a lot of like slow parts, and then the other bits that build to the actual storyline are quite good. If you know what I mean. Yeah, Without giving too much away. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they, they have a certain style, and they also the yes. same faces keep popping up. As in, in Fargo, there's a bunch of people who are in this film that are in other Coen Brothers films. I can confirm that the Men of Ghosts wasn't Coen Brothers. Uh, okay. Story by John Ronson, screenplay by Peter Strachan, and uh, directed by Grant Heslov. So not even involved uh, anyway at all there. Andy Coen Brothers, do you have any thoughts? I don't know. It's one of them things like people like rave about them, and they're like, oh, you must watch this, and you watch watch that. I couldn't really tell you what movie these they are other than Big Lebowski <laughs> and Fargo. It seems to be the two that I know. Everything else is like I don't really like care. I hate directors. <laughs> That's what I'm going for. I don't like directors. I'm fe- I'm fed up with directors getting all the look at this person. It's about the actors. That's what I go to see. I don't give a shit about the directors. That's my opinion. That will segue me and segue me into talking about who's in this film. So I picked out the top three stars of the film. So the film stars Francis McDormand, uh, famous for, according to the internet, almost famous, Moonrise Kingdom and three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, I have, she's also in a bunch of several other mm-hmm. Coen Brothers films as well. Um, so I have her. William H. Macy 
uh, from Boogie Nights, Magnolia, and the US version of Shameless, originally a British television show. However, to me, he is from Mystery Men and Jurassic Park. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes, he is. <laughs> They're my two really big And then the third one I picked out. Uh, Steve Buscemi, famous for Reservoir Dogs, um, but according to the internet, famous for Reservoir Dogs, Ghost World, and The Death of Stalin uh, seem to be his big ones. But I've got several Adam Sandler films, as in most Adam Sandler films. Uh, Con Air, Big Lebowski, Armageddon, and then he's in The Sopranos and Boardwalk Empire for chunks as well. Does <laughs> either of you guys have any of those actors in anything that I've not mentioned that you want to say that's what they know him from? Thanks, so. No. Covered it. Uh, on you go. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much everyone covered. Uh, yeah, so they're the main three stars. Fargo is the movie we were talking about this week. With a budget of $7 million only and an opening weekend of only 730000 the film managed to gross $24.5 million in the US by the time it finished its uh, cinema run. Worldwide return of $61 million, so over $50 million worth of return on Fargo. Was released on the 5th of April, 1996, which means that it qualified for nearly a whole year later, the 1997 awards uh, season. I believe at least once, possibly twice, we've done 1997 before, including Beavis and Butthead, another Chris pick. Oh, I <laughs> loves that <laughs> year. But what that does allow me is to, rather than rattling through the best picture and all that, we could talk about how Fargo got seven Oscar nominations in 1997. Um it was nominated for Best Editing and Lost to the English Patient. Nominated for Best Cinematography and Lost to the English Patient. Nominated for Best Director of the Coen Brothers, or Joel Cohen, who lost to Anthony Minghella, the director of The English Patient. <laughs> uh, William H. Macy was uh, nominated for Best Supporting Actor, but lost to Cuba Gooding Jr. and Jerry Maguire. Fargo did, however, win for Best Screenplay, as in Best Original Screenplay, and Frances McDormand won the Best Actress at the Oscars that year, which actually surprised me to find out that they actually made that pick. Uh, Fargo was nominated for Best Picture, uh, which I believe is a first for us on the podcast here. We've never had a Best Picture nominee. It did not win. Yeah, I don't think so. I can't think of any. None spring to mind in all of Season 1 and in Blade 2. It was not... Prestige not one. No, I think it was not, it was near enough shut out of the Oscars, which surprised us at the time. Oh, yeah. uh, rightly. Uh, I could check, but I'm in the middle of my spiel yeah. on the Oscars here. Uh, Fargo, nominated for Best Picture, lost to The English Patient, of course. So four of its nom- seven nominations it lost to The English Patient. Other nominees that year, Jerry Maguire, Secrets and Lies, and Shine. Not a banner Oscar year, as no. far as I'm concerned. But we always like to compare it with the NTV Movie Awards, and Fargo was indeed nominated at the NTV Movie Awards that year. One nomination saw them get nominated for Best On-Screen Duo for Steve Buscemi and Peter Stormare. <laughs> and those who have been listening keenly to the podcast will know who also was nominated for Best On-Screen Duo that year, which was Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> uh, they did not win as Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage won for Best On-Screen Duo in The Rock. Uh, best movie at the NTV Movie Awards that year was Scream, uh, which we have covered at least in the Beavis of Butthead episode and maybe previously. And then the Golden Raspberry Awards, uh, not nominated Fargo, and worst movie was The Postman, which knocked it off of Andy's list of possible movies for the <laughs> <I> podcast. Postman, <laughs> what a banger that is. Uh, it may rear its head at some point, but Andy's on the down side at the moment. Uh, Fargo did win 81 awards in total. I will not give you all 81 
But other notable wins were uh, Best Director at the BAFTAs, Best Director at the Cannes Film Festival, Best Actress for Francis McDormand at the SAG Awards, and Fargo also won every major award at the Independent Spirit Awards, which is a big, obviously, independent movie uh, award ceremony. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Actress, Best Supporting. They won all the major awards at that award. So Fargo, Fargo really cleaned up in terms of awards. We'll see how that suits Andy, because he seems to be down on films that win things. On to Fargo. I've got a brief synopsis to run through, and then we'll go on to point number one. Jerry Lundegaard, played by William H. Macy, hires two goons, Steve Buscemi and Peter Stormare, to kidnap his wife with the intent of splitting the ransom with them. Jerry banks on his wealthy father-in-law paying the ransom. When the kidnap goes awry, the kidnappers, kidnappers are pulled over while escaping and proceed to murder the police officer that pulls them over and the two witnesses that see them doing so. We follow a very pregnant Officer Marge, which is Frances McDormand, as she adeptly solves the case while Jerry loses all control of the kidnappers, the ransom, and his life. That is what the movie is about. Point number one on Ten Point Podcast is Talking Points, and Chris, I'll hand over to you to lead us through the Talking Points. Well, the reason, um, kind of, as you were talking about like, Beavis and Butter thing, it's probably where I got Fargo from, because <laughs> it just kind of came my head just before I picked we, it. We are right, I've never Chris. seen this film. We are right. <laughs> I, I think that's, that's at least the second film I've mentioned that you've then picked on the podcast yeah. <laughs> on an episode after. So, I'm easily susceptible to picking films, so there you go. Uh, like I said, it's a film I've never seen before, but everybody's raved about it. Who's you've mentioned Far? Who've mentioned Mark Fargo to? So I thought, you know what? We'll give it a whirl and see what it's like. Um. So, well, just out of questions now, since you you've given me the synopsis. Well, we yeah. always we always start with the opening credits. I think we should start there, Chris. Go on then. What did you think of them? Because I didn't see anything wrong with them. This could be up there with the worst opening credits of a film that we have done so far. <laughs> I have a I few. Prob- I have a few problems ones. with it. Okay. Go on so, then. first of all, I know it's trying to be quirky, but the letter spacing on the font really annoyed me. It was too big. <laughs> like. What the fuck? And then, why is that car moving so slow? I don't get that. It's no. Spicy. It, it, no. They could have just started the car closer. It was just well, so slow. The, it wasn't, the up in time. There wasn't a banging tune. It, no. Just no. Bad, bad, bad. I like the score of the movie, the kind of Fargo theme. I quite like the music uh, part yeah. of it. Normally, I'm all harping on about how great the soundtrack is when it has actual songs in it. But And there wasn't an, an awful lot of music in it. There were some quiet bits in Fargo. But I thought the actual Fargo bit of music I really liked. Yeah, it was just that kind of one song that was used over and over again. And yeah. like certain points, I, thought, I enjoyed it. I didn't see anything wrong with opening credits. It's got their names up, you got used to the song, and you just kind of progressed into Jerry taking the car to it got the, the plot line moving took the car to the two henchmen nah. yep because you're like when you see initially like where's he going why has he got a car and then oh that's why he's got a car it, it kind of was part of the movie I thought and it didn't overstate its welcome I thought exactly. it was just my opinion fair enough so any more questions about the start no. I don't have anything in early going really no no it takes a while to get into it like, it did pique my interest, because yeah. I, I love Steve Buscemi and Peter S. Strasmore, or however you say his name. <laughs> Stormare. Stormare, that's the one. <laughs> He's the what Russian guy in everything. That's all he is to me. He's I love him. Mm. 
I don't need to know his last name. He's just a Russian dude. He's a good uh, intimidating I'd... figure, isn't he? Which, like, first you know, question. He doesn't have to do anything. Yeah, that's my first question. I like him purely because of his like awesome accents. And he doesn't fucking talk that much in this film. <laughs> <laughs> it was his medicine stare when they were sitting in the car. I had completely forgotten. Yeah, well, after they've done the kidnapping. I'd completely forgotten how little he talks in this film. Oh, me too. Me too. And that's one of my <laughs> questions I've got is... Uh, a big question for Andy, because I know he's got a journey coming up. Would you rather drive for... F- four plus hours with absolutely zero talking or somebody doesn't have to be Steve Buscemi just talking non-stop the entire time which one would oh, you rather have silence <laughs> love a bit of silence me you know that in work fucking hate it when you're talking <laughs> I do go like I've run out of banter I can't think of anything to say he's like you don't have to talk I was like alright okay <laughs> uh, right I've kind of lost words so um it's kind of hard to like read. From what you've told me, like I'm not to, like just talk through it, so I'm just waiting for questions. Yeah, well, you can ask questions too. Well. Well, see, my questions come later on. All right, okay. I've got... There's a lot of. Just move on. What, what question do you raise? Raise a question, Chris. Yeah. How... Just, that doesn't have to be in order. Fine. Um, where is it? I've lost it now. I've lost it now. Wait, this is right at the very end, anyway, because this is the one question I've got. Did Genie live? It's no. A good question. No. Because I thought Peter Stormer guy just knocked her out because she was talking or screaming. I thought she was just lying on the floor and knocked out. But it's never really established whether she. I, I would say he's just batshit crazy and considering he just fucking killed Steve Buscemi. Yeah, I know. Spoiler alert with an axe. I reckon he killed Spoiler her. Um, yes, I. I think the you're supposed to think he's just decked her and she's knocked out so he can watch his blurry TV show. But then when Marge is driving him away, he's like, she's like, so I'm beginning to think that that's Mrs. Whatever on the floor in there, uh, which that's the way she said it makes me think she's still lying on the floor, as in like the crime scene team are there tidying up the mess because she's been killed. Yeah. Like, I feel like she they had a scene of her being like helped to an ambulance like you always get the end of films if she was still alive and just injured so I think he's pretty much offed her Uh, and she has I counted her as a death uh, for the stats later on (laughs) there you go Um, that's answered a question that's my (laughs) uh, since we're talking about that bit I want to know how Marge got Peter to the car on her own Uh, it's like it felt pretty much like she was the one cop responsible Uh, it's like she shot him in the leg but I may have asked him one question by thinking about the the crime scene team being there but it felt like she just arrested him bundled him in the car and was taking him back to the the police station or whatever Uh, I see I was wondering about that as well because I mean she was heavily pregnant he had a hole in the leg she's not going to just like pick him up and drag him and then why why would he do exactly what she said even if she's just pointing a gun at him like he could just be like I'm not getting in the car yes you'll get in the car or I'll shoot you (laughs) I was kind of fearing that point because like Andy said, like poor Steve Buscemi's just been shot, uh, axed, and then dumped into a wood chipper. <laughs> when she was creeping around that corner, I thought that she's going in there next. I just, that, uh, it was quite. I wasn't prepared for how gruesome, but well, not gruesome, but how like some of the violence was. Yeah. Were you, did, were you of any knowledge of the wood chipper at all going into? Nope. It? I right. had no so idea did, about it. What were your feelings as she was going up to the house and you just hear this racket going on? Well, see, I didn't, I didn't put two together. I thought, like, 
that's going to hide his footsteps and he was going to come up behind her and then another cop unit was going to get there just in time to save her. Uh-huh. So when she kind of crept around you, you've seen him just red everywhere and just like putting his leg in with a bit of wood and you're like, oh, okay. I was like, oh, I was wondering if she was in there as well, Jeannie. Yeah, I, 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 want, I thought she might have been because I, I thought there might have been another body lying next to him but I think it was just the rest of Steve Buscemi yeah. that was lying next to him. <laughs> I, I felt really bad for Stevie Sebi because, I mean, I like him as an actor and stuff, and the guy did so much for the, the so much of the running round for this whole um, ransom thing, and then he ends up getting shot in the cheek and then chopped up into bits. <laughs> was, poor Stevie Sebi. But that wood chipper, there's no way he would have got that amount of body done before that thing didn't pack up. Because it was struggling oh, with his leg big time. Yeah, there was a good healthy pile of Steve Buscemi still lying next to him. I think he would. It was wasn't even halfway. I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, got my throat juice. One question I did have that I'll, I'll <coughs> come in here, as you mentioned, Steve Buscemi doing the running around was I was trying to work out how Shep, who is the guy who originally finds them for uh, for Jerry in the first place, he only knew one of them. He didn't vouch for the other one. But he only knew Peter Stormare's character. He didn't know Steve Buscemi's. He was the one he didn't vouch for. So I was thinking, why would he... Like, Peter Stormare hates him. Like, clearly can't stand to be around him. Why would he drag him along on this mission with him? See, I, I thought it was the other way around. I thought he knew Carol, and Carol knew Peter Stormare's character. No, see, I thought that initially as well, because that would have made sense to me, but I did some research. he was a talker. Yeah, I did some research, but no, actually he knew, I can't remember the guy's name, began with a G, uh, Peter Stormer's character. He knew him, but didn't know, because he said, I put you in touch with so-and-so, I don't know this other guy, I don't vouch for him, he said. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Peter Stormer said, oh yeah, I'll take the job on, and he's like, fuck, I'm going to take uh, Carl along here, and he could do all the running around while I do absolutely nothing, <laughs> and uh, I'll have to deal with him. Peter Stormer was menacing, I thought. Right. On you go, here's, Andrew. Here's my question. If you got a million dollars, would you hide it in the randomest place on a road, in a random narrow bit of snow, covered in your own blood? <laughs> I would have just like... took off. I wouldn't even bother going to speak to That's uh, the bit I don't get. Like that is, That's where I was going yeah. with this question. Why the fuck did he even bother going back? I don't know. Maybe just to be a nice guy. He's like, oh, I'll give you your money. And they don't have to deal with each other ever again. I think he, maybe, yeah, I think he would want him chasing him down. I think he knows that <laughs> he is a proper, he's a bad guy. Like he is an utter. He will try and find me if I take off with his forty grand. <laughs> I don't know. Just if I had a million dollars, I would be gone. Me too. Um, totally. That's why yeah. I was thinking was I'd be I'd be out of there. I've got one like kind of question. Like, what did Jerry do to get into so much financial debt? But like, fucked on the cars. It's a car suit. Yeah, I know, but like, what yeah, was he doing? Was, like, just giving yeah. him away. It was never fully, really explained. He just said he had trouble or something like that. He got himself into a bit of trouble. I don't know what it was and exactly he said. But yeah, he doesn't seem to have any, like, there was never I, any explanation of how much he did and what he did. I've got this. It's that okay. uh, wax coating he was trying to put on. I reckon he bought a fuck ton oh, of that. Cool. Um, uh, and like, he's he's got a garage full of that shit. Which probably costs him like a fortune, and he's got to sell it. Like it's like a hundred bucks a can, so he's got to sell it all because he's been robbed. Basically, I reckon he. I reckon he's just a victim of a traveling salesman. Yeah, 
He did seem to try park up and you try to sell true coat. Exactly. Way. Pushing the true coat, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think that's the, uh, he's got a fuck ton of it. The, uh, <laughs> well, I've got a two-part question, but I'll separate the parts. I'll give you one now, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you when part two's coming later on after we talk for a bit. The first question is, is Jerry a bad car, car salesman, or do we just get him on like a bad day when he's a crap mood? Because he sells that car. In the end, he sells it, even with the true coat on it to the guy. <laughs> well, you do see him sell another car, so I think he's a good car salesman. I just think he's made other bad financial decisions, which yeah. is what's cost made him go crazy. Yeah. But yeah, that, that, that's my part one question. Because I, 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 I feel like the movie's painting him in a bad light, but he doesn't seem to be doing mm. too badly for himself in terms of the salesman thing. But yeah, uh, if you come back to me in a bit, I'll give you part two later, but we'll do a bit more chatting. <laughs> All right. So like, um, what was I going to say? The, the, the heavily pregnant, which is called Marge, Marge or Margie, because I feel like Margie, the, her, her yeah. co-workers always call her Margie all the time. She seemed to be the only one who was actually switched on through this entire film. She was the only cop who seemed actually good at her job. She was the only one who seemed to search for clues and stuff. Like, uh, she's yeah. the only one that was actually good at her job? You've walked straight into part two of my two-part question. <laughs> ah, okay. Which, which, was, uh, which is good. That works. Uh, I asked, is, Bar- is Jerry a bad salesman? I'm asking, is Marge the best movie police officer there's ever been? To the point where she does not put a single foot wrong the entire time in her investigation. Well, <laughs> when she kind of went on that dinner date with Mike. I thought it was a bit... She didn't have to do that. And she didn't tell her husband about that. Who probably would have been all right with it. Again, I, I did just... a, bit of a, a bit of a deep dive on that dinner date. Because I thought, it's weird. It stands out what the, ha- yeah, what the hell is doing in the film. Now, the prevailing theory at this stage seems to be that not not why she did it, but why it's in the film is that at that point, she goes on a date, it's a disaster, the guy's weird. She, she obviously didn't want an actual date out of it, just wanted to see the guy, and he was being all creepy and weird and all that. And then afterwards, she finds out that he'd lied about everything, that he wasn't married to the woman that he'd mentioned, and that she wasn't dead. He, she then thought, he's a really nice guy, he just absolutely lied to my face. I'm going to go back and see Jerry at the car shop because I think he's going to be lying to me too. Which then takes her back to interview him and then totally puts him under so much pressure that he runs away. So in <laughs> terms of police work, the date was actually good for her because it made her second guess what he'd said to her and then went back and did it again. But yeah, to me, it just seemed totally random, that scene. and it was not. I didn't think it was needed in the film, but then after reading about that, I mean, that's not a bad theory on it. See, I so reckon what, what she is, like, what, what, what she's actually doing is she's about to have a kid. She's going on maternity. She still wants a job after maternity has ended. So that's why she's being especially good with the whole thing. Ah, I see. Oh, okay. okay. Right. So she's like trying to, try to show her worth. Yeah. <laughs> so that she doesn't fuck off. It's like, but it's not a hard job because the rest of them are morons. So. Yeah. I did have a wee <laughs> chuckle when she was kind of looking at the crime scene at the start and she went, oh, bends down. And I went, no, no, a bit to throw up. I'm okay, I'm good, this passed. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, it was, okay, I want some more food. <laughs> it wasn't the, the, the gruesome scene, it was the morning sickness. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was really good. That was I, I actually did laugh out loud at that bit, yeah. <laughs> uh, I've missed the, the whole best scene in the whole movie is the actual kidnapping. And Jeannie just sitting there with a the little, uh, what's she doing, uh, knitting. And just yeah. seeing this guy just walk up the thing nonchalantly, look into the window, not see her sitting there and just go, Okay, smash. 
Yeah. It's funny she just watches him do it. So I was like, what's that guy doing? He's like, is he going to break? He's going to break in. Oh my God, he's going to. And then, psh, it's like, ah! <laughs> uh, but that, yeah, for me, that bit was hilarious. That cracked me right up. You've been awfully quiet, Andrew. Got any questions? No, I think you've felt like the bits I had, you guys have all said. So I will say one more thing. That night shot of the Bunyan statue is proper nightmare fuel. I've got Paul Bunyan's statue is hideous. It's not a question, but I've got it as an observation. <laughs> yep. I was like, I thought, okay, like the music, it was looked like it was slowly going up a river, and you're like, oh my god, it's fucking Paul Bunyan. Ugh. And then it carried on. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think oh, we've covered most of that. I think. A few more observations I've got. Oh, not more. Uh, what's what a question, Andy? Did you like the buffet? There's a lot of salad on our plate. Buffet. I'm definitely craving a buffet right now. I've, I've <laughs> you are but uh, should way too much salad on our plate. Right. Okay. Uh, I'll observations. Oh, carry on. Uh, no, I was just saying she's had a good portion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jerry's father-in-law is Carter Peter Schmidt from Family Guy. Uh, like, it's not actually him because obviously it's oh, right. voice, but he is like the real life version yeah. of him yeah. rich guy white hair cash uh, even had like, the cravat kind of neckerchief <laughs> thing that he wears and all that same guy uh, and then my two biggest issues I have with the whole film one clicking at the waiter no he can fuck off that was Steve Buscemi when he was at the concert <laughs> the, the gig I, I, I've been a waiter uh, several times in the past so for many years anytime anyone clicked their fingers at me they get worse and slower service than if they didn't click their fingers at me absolutely hate it one of my absolute pet peeves um, and my other biggest issue I have the guy was totally out of order for charging him £4 when he didn't want to park there I thought no. that was $4 it was no I see that the price is a price. flat rate yeah. yeah, flat rate. Price is the price. He had just driven in there. He had just made <laughs> a ticket. You didn't yeah. have to do that, though. Exactly. Ah. He went through the barrier. That was his own choice. He made that decision. He pays the $4. Out of order. Out of order. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any more questions from you, Andy? I'm all good. I think that's us, then. Better move on to point number two. The high points. Uh, we'll go with you, Chris, uh, since you're the one kind of leading the discussion here. What have you got as high points? I've mentioned one already, the the scene where Jeannie gets kidnapped, I, I thought it was hilarious, just seeing Steve Buscemi's character just kind of jogging up the steps, looking in the window, and her just staring at this guy going, what the hell is he doing? And then smash. I thought that, just that little bit there is brilliant. I've got um, the kidnapping other... as well, but the kidnapping, my it's funny, that's my favourite bit of the kidnapping, is her hiding in the bath and then I'm realising that she's hiding behind the shower curtain and her realising that he's realised that she's hiding there and then just going, ah, running out with the curtain on her head, running, not knowing where she's going and falling down the stairs and that's how she got caught. I, I thought, thought at that, that point, no, I thought she had died there. I thought, like, she fell down the stairs, he's poking her and she never moved. I thought, oh, Christ, yeah. she's dead. They've already messed up. I'm going to keep this one going. But uh, my other one is, kind of a, a bit of a morbid high point, was the end scene. I wasn't prepared for... Peter Summer to come running at the house with an axe <laughs> and then to stick him into a wood chipper. I was like, well, that's came out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was, like, like I said before, like I went into this movie thinking it was a comedy and I wasn't prepared for like blood splatters everywhere and fucking wood chippers and kind of threw me off. But it was, yeah, I enjoyed it. it. It was... It's very Coen Brothers in its comedy and as much as yeah. it's not telling jokes funny, it's look how and how weird people are and that's funny uh, that's kind of where the comedy comes from isn't it? yeah that's my two 
Andy, what have you got as any high points that you've picked? I've got both of them. They were on my list. Like, I like the gruesomeness and that. Like, the whole when he gets shot, he's like, his cheek, and he's like, there's just blood running (laughs) for the next half an hour, and he's trying to fix it up and stuff like that. Um, The I just like them too. Like those as like the kidnappers, those pairing are just brilliant. Like, even when they're just like, I'm gonna have some pancakes and hookers. Like that's a dream. <laughs> that's a dream right there, isn't it? In yeah. That order I want to go as to well. Pancake's house. I want to go to Pancake's house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, pancakes and hookers. Oh, that was pretty good. I liked that bit. Um, I'm just trying to think. Like the weird, like just the overall weirdness of it. Like I did like the quirkiness of the whole thing. Yeah. It's, See, I thought I'd pee you off. Yeah, same here. But it's it just it's just above that line of there's enough happening. If it was any less happening, it would be really kind of dull, I think. But it's just the right amount of things going on uh, throughout the entire film. But yeah, I thought you'd be down on the quirkiness, Andy. No, I quite like it. I like a little random bit of quirkiness. It's not as bad as when like Napoleon and stuff like that. It's like at least they're wearing <laughs> snow boots because there's snow. <laughs> okay, the snow boots rear their head again. <laughs> Uh, any other high points? Is that you? No, I've got them. That's mine. Uh, I see. I've gone kidnapping as well. I, I, I had Marge at the crime scene as one of my favourite bits <laughs> as well. Uh, just again, her just totally being on the ball with everything and getting everything spot on. And then when the her her co-worker goes, I think this and this is like you might not be right very good with your police work there. You've got <laughs> to stop the accent. <laughs> 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 You can't quote this film without talking like that. It's like it, I'm the, trying it, not it, to it, talk it. like that because I'll just completely fuck it up. Oh yeah, um, and then <laughs> I've got I've got the the ransom handover as well. It comes right off the back of Shep beating the shit out of Steve Buscemi and just swearing up a storm. And we go right into Steve Buscemi passing it on at the ransom handover where uh, not Jerry shows up. He doesn't know who this guy is. And he just starts effing and blinding. Give me the money, give me the money. He ends up shooting him. And then the that damn guy working at the toll booth finally gets what's coming to him uh, at the end of that bit as well. well so yeah, my, that was a different guy. Yeah, yeah, it was a different guy. Yeah, um, but yeah, the, the ransom handover is my other one. <laughs> Uh, point three, the low points. Uh, I'll start off since I ended there. Uh, I've mentioned it earlier. Marty's date uh, with Mike Yanagita uh, just seemed totally, at the time, out of context, and I didn't know why it was happening. It, the rest of the film has a certain pace and feeling about it. This goes really awkward mm. and a bit strange. The, the guy who plays Mike is actually pretty good at what he's doing, Um but I, I just felt like, you know, I'll get me back to the rest of the film. I don't want this bit anymore. And then... So, back to Andy, if you've got any low point nominees. Um, try to think. What don't I like? I've got mine, if you're sure. Yeah, we'll throw I'm a pistol, Andy. <laughs> well, Andy watches the film. <laughs> Um, like you said I've got there's a lot of pointless and unnecessary scenes like like the one you've got like Mike's date it's until you've explained it it just seems completely out of place and it was like there was no it didn't need it like she could have just went down to the whole two uh, cities whatever it's called did the meeting or the interrogation then left 
Yeah. But the Mike's date thing just completely threw me off. And the other one was her and her husband watching beetle porn in the middle of the night. <laughs> I was like, yeah. what was the point of that? Because it's not like they discussed anything. They were just like watching beetle stuff. Right, I'm turning in. Okay. And they fell asleep. <laughs> they could have yeah, just like went to the next scene of her waking up in the middle of the night with a phone. Husband is a, a special kind of character. Like he's, <laughs> yeah. he's, there's not many characters in films like him. He's this, I don't know, amazing artist who gets his picture put on a stamp and then he's just, I don't know, he just makes breakfast and just sits around and just doesn't do anything other than that for the entire film. I'm going to step on my toes here for one of the fun facts, but before the film had started, um, Frances McDormand was asked to come up with a backstory for her just to get into the, the feel of it. And she said that she met her husband on the force. They got preg, she got pregnant, and then they had to choose which one stayed at working because she was a better cop. She got the job, and now he's a painter. That's what I read. Right, that's weird. Yeah. It's never like, explained what he does apart from paint. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, any other low points, Chris? No, it was just okay. mostly that fucking Mike scene. Right, Andy, how far <laughs> of the film have you got? That's oh, good. I've got some. Stupid right, plans. I'm going to categorise this as one like whole thing. There's multiple stupid plans in this film. <laughs> but highlights that I've already mentioned was just burying your money randomly in the snow and hoping that tiny little windscreen wipe, uh, scraper is going to still be there. Stupid plan number one. Stupid plan number two. If a cop's shooting you, don't run out to the big open lake. Stay in the forested <laughs> area. Flashbacks of a running man there. Yeah. I've got to run away by running into this open space. <laughs> so yeah, that was a randomly stupid plan. And like the thing that really annoyed me the most was just the whole like plan of like him trying to get his father in law to pay the ransom mm. and then not get the cops involved. How did nobody see right through him? And like his little friend like his dad's friend is going yeah, I think not bringing the cops in is a good idea. Always bring in the cops. Just yeah, always no bring in the fucking cops. I just, <laughs> yeah. Stupid plans was one. Um, and just side characters just not need. There was they, they tried to put too many new characters in it for no reason at all. And I kind of get why they do it because it's that quirkiness thing again. But it's like when she goes and investigates, well, the guy goes and investigates the the guy's sighting on the lake. And it's just, oh. The, oh the yeah, long conversation. Not, oh, I don't, that one the was the one that was pointless. <laughs> Absolutely pointless. Oh, but it was so good. Uh, on on the subject you mentioned the, the burying of the the money, I do love that at the end of the film the money is just there. Like nobody is still alive that knows it's there. Yeah. And then the only survivors, uh, surviving person that knows the money exists really is Jerry. And he's on the run, and he has no idea what Steve Buscemi did with that money. Well, if I did, yeah. I don't even know if he knows Steve Buscemi has it because his father-in-law took off with it. So somebody's just going to be driving along, I guess, in the middle of summer when the snow melts, and there's just going to be this bag of nine hundred grand in it just sitting at the side of the road. It reminds me of uh, the Italian job where you don't know what happens when they're teetering on the edge of the cliff. The yeah, gold. yeah. Spoiler: it's, it's there. Uh, fuck it. <laughs> Uh, what's this? I'm not saying through... my catchphrases. Why not? <laughs> through. Oh. Uh, through low points. Point number four is the trivia section. Points of interest. Uh, Chris, you picked the film, so you give us the trivia, and I think Andy and me might have some uh, little bits of our own. I'm sure Andy has a fun fact or two. 
Okay, so if you want to improve in your accent, Bruce, there is an actual book called How to Speak Minnesotan. <laughs> Handy. I'll, I'll, I'll get uh, Amazon. <laughs> um, okay, like you, know, you said, it was based on a true story. I it's did. not. I know. Uh, right, <laughs> if you watch right to the very end, it says like the persons and events portrayed are fictitious and any resemblances are complete by accident. It's... I mean, I've noticed if it wasn't for Marvel films and making me watch films right to the very end. <laughs> uh, I knew because I'd heard that, like, as a trivia note back when I watched it, I don't know if it was the last time time before, but the Coen brothers just wanted to put that in the beginning. Yeah. They decided, fuck it, we're going to put it in the beginning. It makes it, I think it makes it more believable, maybe? I don't know. They just, they put it, it was the a, fact that it's just so normal, them just having dinner and stuff like that, you're like, is this what actually happened? Yeah, and that's where the little, the date comes in there as well. You think oh, this, <laughs> this might be part of the story. This could be important because this is part of a true story. It's like, oh, it's not actually that important. But yeah, I did, that was one of the the two facts I've got written down that it's not actually based on a true story. <laughs> uh, despite being called Fargo, they only actually spent about five minutes in Fargo, and uh, most of it spent in Brainerd. But a film called Brainerd doesn't really roll off the tongue as well as Fargo does. The uh, this is the other. Other trivia note I had, I like how you had the first two that I had. Uh, the King of Clubs is the only bit of Fargo that is in Fargo. Um, and one theory was that the Coen brothers wanted to have it as this place. Like, Jerry had to go to this place in order to, you know, it was like instead of a state of mind, it was literally a place. Like, if you turn bad, he had to go to a place. So he had to go to Fargo to get this done. He's trying to get these people to kidnap his wife and change his life uh, and all that. And uh, another look at it is that he had to go really far to go through the whole thing, so that's why it was in Fargo. Ah. Which is a bit words. I think <laughs> a lot of plain words. But yeah, they wanted to, he had to go to this weird place out of the way to get this done. He had to go to this separate place. So I don't know if it's true or not. Uh, speaking of Jerry, uh, William H. Macy was so sure that he was the right man for Jerry that he flew to New York where they had started production and threatened to shoot the Cone Brothers' dogs if they did not give him the job. <laughs> He was joking, obviously, but that's a bit extreme. Fucking hell. Because, like, he had his audition and he was like, oh, yeah, I'm perfect for this part. And they never got back to him. And then he just kind of, like, was so sure that they weren't going to give him the job that he flew out to New York and was like, I will shoot your dogs if you don't give me this job. Shit on it. So, yeah, don't mess with me. I could see how it would feel fit to their sense of humour. Like, yeah. obviously he was joking. It would be those sort of things. So maybe he knew exactly, ah, oh, I've got the perfect <laughs> idea. They're going to love this. <laughs> maybe. Um, I've got three more. A couple uh, big ones. During filming, Minnesota was experiencing its second warmest summer in 100 years. So a lot of the outdoor scenes were used, like, with artificial snow or had to be filmed elsewhere to make it, uh, to make it seem colder. Um... Every time Marge and Norm, her husband, are together, they're either eating or in bed together. <laughs> I'll make it and, some Yeah. <laughs> Last one. It's not really a big one, actually. Uh, the Coens thought it seemed a bit vain that their names were on everything because they co-wrote, they co-directed, uh, they produced it. So they created an editor called Roderick Jaynes, who ended up being nominated for a, an Academy Award. <laughs> They did. They didn't win. They lost to the English patient. <laughs> yeah. So it's pointless, but there we go. Any other missed, Andrew? Well, I've got a fun fact. Okay. So we can agree there's a lot of snow in this film. Yeah. Yep. So 
<laughs> Did you know that in Nova Scotia... It comes from the clouds. No, Nova Scotia holds the world record for the most simultaneous snow angels made. So in, 2000, <laughs> in 2011, 22,000 Nova Scotian residents in 130 separate locations lay down and made snow angels. Fair well, there you go. Fun and fact. fun fact of the week. I like it. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Nothing if not random, Andrew. <laughs> point five on the ten point podcast is the TPP quiz, and I will hand you over now to our quiz master. It's Andy. Right. So everybody knows the rules. I give you a question, and Bruce and Chris answer. So Chris is currently at a tie with me for the entire last season, and Bruce is currently winning this oh. season. Yep. Uh, are we buzzing? And I thought I got absolutely dominated last year. No, no you, you got a tie. One. You got a tie. Like one tie. I did absolutely dominate you, like in one total. So no, actually, no. There was one. Like a lot of them are close, like two ones or three twos or something I like that. Still one. A win's a win, Chris. Anyway. You tied it by crank game where you both got every question right. That's the one yes. that you tied. Mm, okay. Anyway. Uh, yeah, are we buzzing in, Andy? Okay. Sorry, yeah. No, so the rules for this one, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's a style of player cards, right? It's higher or lower. So you will Ooh, take okay. it in turns to tell me, is it higher or is it lower? It's nice, simple. Mm-hmm. Sticking with the snow and cold theme, this is the coldest places <laughs> on Earth. So I will name a place and tell you the temperature... And then you tell me, with a, like, the next one I name is higher or lower. Okay. So okay. Are, are we taking it in turns or are we both answering every single nope. one? No, so it's taking in turns. So I'll go with Bruce first. Right. So I'll give you a temperature and mm-hmm. then you go higher or lower. Simple. Mm-hmm. Simple enough, yeah. Yep. Right. So we've got... Some of these have full names, some don't. They're just general. But these are uh, mm-hmm. statistics. So in February... 1892 in Russia, the temperature was minus 69.8 degrees. Okay. So, Bruce, Mm -hmm. was the temperature higher or lower in 1950 in Alaska? So, it was Mm, higher or lower than minus 69.8. I'm going to say higher. Do you think the temperature in Alaska was higher? Yes. I would have said lower. Me, oh, personally. Oh, right or wrong? Oh. oh, he's wrong. The actual temperature in Alaska in 1950 was minus 73.8. Oh, that's close. Can I so, get a bonus point? For good sake, I need a win. <laughs> no bonus point. So, Chris. So, Alaska, nine, uh, minus 73.8. So. So, is the temperature higher or lower in the Yukon, Canada, in 1947? I'm going to say lower again. So, you're going to think it's lower than 73? Yeah. Let's find out if you're right. Ah, you're wrong also. So, the temperature in the Yukon was... 62, minus 62 degrees. Right, Bruce. So you got mm-hmm. higher or lower than minus 62. 62. Mm-hmm. 
the <laughs> dome of Mount Fuji in August 2010. Higher or lower than whatever I just said? 62. Minus 62. I'm going to go lower this time because I went higher last time. So lower than minus 62. Let's find out if you're right. You yeah. are. The temperature on the top of Mount Fuji was minus 93.2 degrees. Oh. Rough so, monkeys. Very cold. <laughs> right, Chris. You need to get this right to stay in it. So, the Antarctic, Chris, in 1982, was it higher or lower than minus 93 degrees? I'm going to say higher. So you're thinking it's going to be warmer, so technically warmer. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you are right. The temperature in the Antarctic was 82, minus 82 degrees. Right, Bruce. If you get this one, Mm -hmm. Chris has got no chance to win because I don't have any more. (laughs) Right. So. Tie, though. Minus 82.8. Okay. Mm -hmm. In the Antarctic. In the Antarctic. Was, in 1991, in the research station in Greenland... Was the temperature higher Ooh. or lower? Right. I'm going to go... I'm going to get inside the brain of Andy here. And I'm <laughs> going to think. He's leaving the big one till the end. So I'm going to go... We're going to be knocking on 100 here. I'm going to say it would be a lower temperature and it's going to be freezing in Greenland. So lower than whatever it was, 80 minus 80, whatever. Oh. I was going to say higher as well. You were wrong. It was actually only minus 69 degrees. So... Oh, back to the end. Nice. You end up in a tie. A tie. Tie for the second oh. ever game of higher or lower. Well, the first ever game of higher or lower. Second ever game in the quiz. I'm undefeated this season still. I still. Undefeated. I only did two, didn't I? What? I got one wrong. Uh, one right, didn't I? I don't know. We'll play it back. It was a draw. Anyway, it's a draw. Okay, <laughs> never mind. Taskmaster called it. Wasn't. It's a draw. <laughs> I, got an extra, I got an extra question, but it was a draw. <laughs> Point six on the Dead Boy Podcast is the stats. We've been keeping count of various important things that happen in films. I have had my usual ones that I've had since the beginning with a, an eclectic mix of uh, of uh, results this time. So for Fargo, there were no explosions in Fargo whatsoever. Uh, I couldn't think of any. I don't believe I missed any. There was nothing very explosion-y happening in the whole thing. I counted 74 swears, uh, mostly Shep and uh, Steve Buscemi. Uh, <laughs> they they had about 40 in the space of about 10 minutes in the film. Uh, so that really ramped up the scores. The internet tries to tell me there was 87 swears, so I may have missed 13 because there was a lot of effing and blinding in a couple of them. Did you get the two that Peter Stommer said in Swedish? Oh, I did not. He so... uh, When he's chasing down the guy in the car, he says, Yavla uh, fita, which means fucking cunt in Swedish. <laughs> right, okay, so 76 uh, is the, the swear count. Uh, this is not my favourite saying, by the way, Yavla Pita. Yavla Pita, okay. Uh, and a, a good film for this one, because it was very, every, every death mattered. Uh, it was the wrong important, with the exception of the poor guy at the toll booth, but he got, <laughs> he got what was coming to somebody who worked in that toll booth. Seven deaths there were, and each one of them was pretty important. No bloodbaths like we've had in the past, and no shutouts or only cows or birds like we've had in the past. But there were seven deaths. Did they say the thing in Fargo? Did they say Fargo? 
Yeah, it did. I sure it did. No. I thought no, and then I reviewed everything, and the fact they did say Fargo. It is mentioned twice only in the entire film, and that's not including the title card or the town sign, because that's not saying it, that's just it being in the film. The woman on the news who is talking in the on the news channel uh, in uh, Jerry's house mentions Fargo and some other area schools, something to do with something, some sort of school board. She says Fargo, and then uh, Jerry's wife says, "How was Fargo when he comes in?" And that's it. They're never mentioned again because, as we said earlier, the first five to ten minutes of the film happens in Fargo, and nothing else of any relevance happens in Fargo. So they do indeed say the thing. Uh, 33 minutes of the film elapsed before we meet the main character. Frances McDormand's character Marjorie doesn't show up until 33 minutes into the film, is my stat. And my last counter that I did, I took on an ambitious one here. 113 is the number I ended at of the number of times someone says, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There are 113 yeahs in the film. Uh, That is my stats. Uh, Chris, what have you got as any stats? Um... Well, I tried something similar with yours because remember that scene where uh, Jerry's father-in-law gets shot? He's like, oh, jeez. They've said that quite a lot, so I went back and watched it. They only said it 21 times. I thought they said it a lot more. (laughs) It did feel like a lot, yeah. Yeah, but there you go. That was my stat. I'm not counting again because that was a fucking nightmare. I can't imagine how you do it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Andy, what have you got for stats? I've got a new one. So... This is going to be one I think is, is out there for... I feel like there's a fetish out there that we just don't cover enough on this podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, okay. It, it's, it's foot fetish. Ah, right, okay. <laughs> so, I'm going to help all my foot fetish brothers out there. thought that I'm one. I just find it's weird, but it's funny. <laughs> well, you just admitted to it, so maybe your face well, will think more the next time. This is- this is for all the podophiles out there, is it? Yes. My podophile peeps. So, <laughs> anyway, there's a long story to why this has happened, but we'll get to that at some stage. So, I'm on the lookout for a full-on barefoot. That's like no socks, 100% barefoot. And I counted exactly one barefoot in this film. And that, <laughs> and that is during the sex scene, and it is a full frontal barefoot of Peter Stormare's oh. foot. For full frontal foot nudity. Yep. Proper soul action on that bad boy. Oh, so so <laughs> the podophile's dream. They'll be loving it. So yeah, we'll see if really? that's that kind of thing because I cannot be arse counting feet anymore. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, any other stats, Andy? Or is that you? <laughs> that's it, I'm done. Uh, okay, well, what was removed from the stats section and given its own point on the podcast is movies within movies. So, Andy, you are the expert in this in this realm. So, what have you got with for the movies within movies of Fargo? Well, this is a good one because I don't, I don't think a lot of people know. So, everybody wondered what happened to Jerry at the end of the film. You don't actually know. Yeah, he's going to try to escape, and that's the last we see of him, really, isn't it? Yeah. So, what I think actually, I see where you're going with this one. When so, you go. what, which actually happens with him is um, he. Like, basically, tells the truth, he comes out, he gets a kind of reduced sentence, but mm-hmm. also, he, through the, um, the grand, the, well, his, whatever he's called, uh, father-in-law, under the bus for embezzlement, so he got, like, a massively reduced sentence, like, I'm talking he was only in jail for, like, five years. Ah, okay. Um, because they uncovered this big embezzlement scheme. So, 
he was worried for his safety. So when he came out, he got put into witness protection, mm. um, where he just allowed to start his own family. Um, he then went back, found the money, bought a yacht, and decided, I know what I want to do. I want to go into Jurassic Park. <laughs> accidentally, oh, lost, you're going. Okay. accidentally lost his new kid with his wife because he got a new wife. He remarried because she's gone. She's dead. So he got a new yeah, wife. Yeah, she's dead. Yeah. Had had a nice little girl um, and a boy, and then just decided, oh shit! I just left them on a beach with dinosaurs. And then he had to <laughs> hire the same goons. He had to go and talk to his Indian friend that he liked, his Native American friend, um, and he got him in contact with a bunch of uh, mercenaries to go into this uh, Jurassic Park island. I like it. The so, untold yeah. story of Fargo 2. Yeah. yeah. I thought you were going shameless way, that he fell on hard times and then became Frank Gallagher. No. Or whatever he's called. No, witness protection, Jurassic Park. That's where we're going with that. I like it. That's yeah, that. good. Uh, how about you, Chris? Any movies and movies? I'm not sure what you bring to the table of movies and movies, no. so what, what, what have you got? If I come up with a good one, event, I'll, I'll do it, but I right, okay. don't think of anything at the time. Uh, I've gone very literal uh, in terms of, quite clearly, this movie is also The Shining. Because the two kidnappers break down the door of the bathroom while uh, Jeannie is in there, in a very similar file, uh, style to the, the Shining, smashing the door in where she screams. She then also opens a little window of the bathroom, like they do in The Shining. She doesn't have a little kid to push down in the snow, and she doesn't get out. But she fools them by the they've probably seen The Shining, so I'm going to make them think I've gone out the window. And then, of course, to double down on The Shining stuff, uh, Steve Buscemi gets annihilated with an axe to the chest, which happens in The Shining as well. So a lot of Shining imagery. Yeah. Uh, in Fargo, so I'm saying movies and movies. This is the, the Shining is the movie within this movie is what I've come up with. Riddle me this, Chris. Point eight on the podcast is yours. What have you got for us this week? Well, I've changed it because I didn't think the whole uh, blank check would work very well. This one. So, if you could ask a character any question, one question to one character, what would it be and why? I'll I'll start with this one. So I would ask Jerry what he did to get himself into so much financial trouble. Because it's never really established in the movie. Mm. Do you have a question? Point. I've got one Wait. for uh, Steve Buscemi. Just why? Why did you bury a million dollars in snow? Snow melts your bell end. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't know. Struggling here. It's a very good question. Chris finally stumped you with a good question. Mm, good question about what question. Um... <laughs> I wish I knew what Peter Stormare's character's name was because I'd probably ask him. It's like, what, what made you so Grar, Greer or Gar? Or yeah, the, the the Russian fella. I'd ask him. Like, I'd just I'd ask him how he was feeling. I feel like he just wants to open up. <laughs> he, he wants, wants to open up. I'm like, what what's wrong or what are you feeling? Tell me. Just t- I wanted him to tell me more about himself. Open up as what I'd be like. Yeah. How are you feeling? Walk is what up I would this ask. Big psycho and be like, do you want a hug? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's what we'll go for. Do you want a hug, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> that's my big one. <laughs> well, I like it. Yep. Yeah. Going with one to point two. nine. Yeah. Yeah. Keep that one in the back. Point nine on the ten point podcast is our nominations. This is where we get to nominate any part, person, or thing involved in the movie for the pointy awards that will come at the end of the season. I'll lead off with what I've got. Uh, I've got. A, a huge amount of nominations here, so I'll try and get to them quickly. Uh, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, best movie cop. I'm nominating Marge as this is above all, all movies. She's the best police officer ever in a film, uh, I think. 
because she just absolutely gets everything nailed on. And also, in terms of actually watching the film, she's she's the good guy. She's funny. And she she's amusing. And I quite like. She's very likable and all that. So we'll nominate her best movie cop for Margie, uh, and by extension, best actress Frances, Mc, Frances McDormand is great. I did not know she won the Oscar. I had actually I'd written down her as my nomination before she uh, before I found out she actually won the Oscar for this. So I'm nominating her. Uh, Willie H. Macy for best actor because he was really good. He, to me, is the leading actor in this film. He got nominated for Best Supporting at lots of award ceremonies, but the two of them really are the main characters in the film. It's really a two-person film, so I'm nominating him, which leaves me room to nominate Steve Buscemi as Best Supporting, or maybe even the two of them as a best kind of duo as the supporting the two kidnappers. I like them. I've got a nomination for the Michael Pena Award for the best telling of a story. I'm nominating <laughs> that guy clearing his drive talking about the lake. Uh, I'm nominating him for the best storytelling, the Michael Pena Award. Oh, I like uh, that award. That's quite good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a classic 10-point podcast award. Best death has to be chopped up with an axe and then a wood chipper has to be nominated. And my final one, which I've, I'm glad has not been mentioned and didn't make it into uh, trivia, in the first episode of the season, I had the most unexpected person to show up in the film, and that was the cat from Red Dwarf showing up in Blade 2. I think it's been trumped by this film. Did you guys notice who played the pers- the, the man who was murdered by the kidnappers <coughs> at, at the beginning of the, at the, beginning of the uh, film? Okay, I forgot to put this in my notes, but I know who you're going for here. <laughs> yes, the, the person who runs out of the snow and is killed by the kidnappers uh, is the artist formerly known as Prince. <laughs> was that person? Was it? <laughs> Which, yeah. It's not. I, mean, <laughs> I forgot to put it in my notes. They Just because he's from Minnesota, they put ah, his name in it. Right, okay. Right. But it's not actually him. I forgot to put oh. it in my trivia. My bad. I, th- I thought you were going to oh, put Bruce go. Campbell turn up. Uh, was he in a film? Bruce Campbell was in Fargo. He was when they're watching it. He was one of the opera guys that's on the back of the TV. Ah, uh, okay. That's the most one. Add that to the nomination. There you are. Yeah. Oh, I thought I had that from when was Prince. I thought I was going to win for that award. But there I you noticed go. it at the very end when it was coming. Yeah. I was like, oh, I think for Prince. So I had um, yeah. trivia that, and it's because he's from Minnesota. They yeah, they're a little nod to him. That's why I thought he, he must be in it because he's definitely a, he's a proud Minnesotan. Uh, yeah, we got my nomination. That's all my nominations. So many nominations. Uh, Andy, <laughs> what have you got for nominations? Uh, so gonna, since you missed, I'm going to put Bruce Campbell in for the most random cameo. Yeah, I like it. Uh, he turned up. Uh, I've got a nomination for the worst plan in a film, which is <laughs> if the cops trying to shoot you, don't run out into the open into a big fucking lake. <laughs> Head to the forest. <laughs> So that's that's that nomination and that that is your worst plan above all the other bad plans in the film, is it? <laughs> that one's the worst one. The rest of it I can kind of I can see logic to. Yeah. But don't run out into the open when a cop's trying to kill you. Well, not kill you, like shoot you. Just bad, bad idea. Uh, I've got nominations for worst accents in a film, which is pretty much everybody <laughs> in this film. How dare you? Because I'm sure <laughs> they talk like that in Minnesota, but f- no. Some of them were horrendous. And then I've got a nomination for the most underused who I like actor in a film. And that's going to go to John Carroll Lynch, who is the husband that just sits in the bed and eats food. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's a good one. I like that. I, I second that one. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I've How got. about you, Chris? Is that yours, Andy? Yeah. Well, I've got, seems you, a joint washed plan for me is the whole entirety of Jerry's plan. Right, <laughs> hiring some goons to kidnap your wife so your father can then your father walk in and pay for the the ransom. 
how is he going to explain to him the sudden influx of money? Because the whole he wanted the money to set up that whole lot, right? How's he going? To go, oh, I've just bought the lot, by the way. Where'd you get that money? Oh, I just found it lying about. I doubt it. The other one was the goons kidnapping Genie in the middle of the day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just That's a good walking point. off her steps with a balaclava on, with a crowbar yeah. in his hand. I suppose the response to that would be because of where Jerry knew he was going to be, because he was with the father-in-law at the time, I think. So it must just have been whenever he could see him for a meeting. So he would definitely be not culpable for the kidnapping because he was out with the father-in-law and the other guy. That would be my answer for that one, but it's still funny. Yeah. Uh, my best scene for me is, again, it's a kidnapping. I just thought the whole thing, like him just walking up the the stairs, the crowbar peered out the window, not noticing her, just sitting there watching him. And then goes on to smash the window. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Uh, so that's me. That's Good. a couple. Good set of nominations. I like it. Point 10 on the podcast. The final point of the 10 point podcast is the moral of the story. I kind of struggled, to be honest. I know, I've written down what I've got as a moral, and I've also got what the actual moral is. As in, at the very end of the story, Marge says, there's more to life than a little money, is what she says. I got rid of the accent that time. Uh, which I think is essentially what the story is meant to be. But my moral story is, if someone decides not to park, then you don't charge them $4. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris, what's your moral of the story? I've just thought about this now. If you want something done right, do it yourself. If you want... Because if he just kidnapped his own wife, it probably nothing would have went wrong. So there you go. If you want something done right, do it yourself. I see. Andy, what have you got as a moral of the story? Pancakes and hookers. <laughs> <laughs> Full stop. That's <laughs> it. That's <laughs> the moral. <Working> a pancake. <laughs> okay. There's more to life than a lot of money, uh, i.e. pancakes and hookers. That's the, uh, the moral of the story. Uh, with the 10 points of discussion... Now in the bag, brings us on to the 10-point rating, the reason that we're all here. Since it was Chris's selection, he gets to go first. I'm intrigued to hear what he thought of it since it was his first view. And Chris, what is your rating? I kind of liked it. Like, like I said before, I came into this thing that was a comedy. I wasn't prepared for all the you know, guys just to start offing people everywhere. And um, like, again, like I said before, there was a few scenes I could have done without, which kind of slowed it down for me. But uh, the ones that actually progressed the story were great. They actually were all done really well and acted really well. So I'm giving it a seven. Ooh, a seven. Seven for a first-time viewer. Not bad. I'm intrigued to hear what Andy's going to give it, so I'm going to wait till him to the end. And I'm going to have a very brief, very brief uh, review from me, which is absolutely fantastic on all levels, Fargo is. I can't give it ten points because it's not absolutely perfect, but I'm going to set on a nine uh, I didn't. I did not enjoy this the last time I watched it. For some reason, I just remember I'm not enjoying it. But this time through, I thought it was absolutely great, and I'm very, very glad that upon Chris picking it, I invested in getting the Blu-ray off Amazon. I don't believe the guy took a dump <laughs> in the bush, but I'm going nine. My tied highest rating I've ever given a film on here. Nine for Fargo. Andy, what is your rating? It's quirky. It's interesting, but it's not interesting enough. I absolutely oh. fucking hated the film one. <laughs> Like, the fuck did that come from? It is the boy in the striped pajamas. If I could re-rate it, would be number two. The Cohen brothers just take a shit in the movie industry, and I don't understand people's fascination. And you two liked it, and I still don't understand why you fucking liked it. It is the biggest pile of shit that I have ever sat through, and I forgot how bad it was. Like, 
I wiped out my memory it was that shit, so don't fucking watch it. And the Coen brothers can go and take a dump on an Amazon box for all I give a shit. <laughs> Okay, well, I thought you liked it the way you were going before. That, that came out of nowhere. I was intrigued to hear because I, I thought he was very positive the whole way through talking about yeah. the bits he liked and all this. I uh. struggled to find the bits I liked. And it's like, it is, yeah, it is worse than the boy in the striped pyjamas. It's definitely the biggest disparity we've ever had on reviewing a film. Uh, <laughs> we're right across the board here with everything. Oh, well. Uh I forgot to do the maths. I was so distracted by all that. I think it gets a six in the end. Yeah, Fargo uh, averages... The official 10-point podcast rating is a six out of ten. So, with, uh, with that... I don't know. Sta- firm that stance... <laughs> yeah, firm stance taken means that Andy needs to line up a real good one for next time. So, Andy, it's your pick next. So, tell us what we're going to follow up on this with. Well, I don't know if it's good or not. Because you, Bellends, <laughs> have been picking films that you've not seen before so I thought oh, I might have to jump on the bandwagon and it's a film kind of in the same boat as Fargo so we shall see if it's oh any god. better oh god that's a, that's a strange direction for it to go <laughs> so this film I have never seen but it's always there or thereabouts in my kind of radar and I have yet to watch it however it stars somebody that you cannot hate and that is Tom Hanks oh so That's true. We're, we're going to watch the 1989 The Burbs. The Burbs. I've never the heard of it. Me neither. So I have never seen it. It looks like you guys have never seen it. So oh. I feel like... That's our so first, first time nobody's seen any. I have, yeah. I have finally picked a film yeah. that nobody has seen. My goodness. Yeah, I, I, Tom Hanks is a pretty famous actor. And I know a lot yeah. of films he's in, but I've, I've, I've never even heard of this. Well, this stars... Nope. Tom Hanks, Carrie Fisher, and Corey Feldman. I must say, I like the look of it already. I've just, I've just googled it, and yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to give this one a go. There okay. we go. Burbs. Interesting. Third film in a row we've not seen. So please join us next time on the podcast to see what we in fact do think of the Burbs. <laughs>